Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are talking about superstitions and lucky charms, which, you know, that might sound like a ridiculous topic for this podcast. Only It would only be ridiculous if it were cereal. If it were cereal? Lucky like, charms. Oh! Keep going. Okay. I was like, wait, 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 like pop? Just corn pops? Yeah, just popcorn. Roll, roll with it. <laughs> okay, Lucky Charms, not the cereal, although now I'm kind of craving Lucky Charms. Thank you, Caroline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of a random topic, but we do have some gender differences to talk about, and also a little bit of mm, illogical aspects of Lucky Charms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I never thought that carrying Lucky Charms would work. Apparently, uh, apparently it can do something for you, though. But before we get down to the Lucky Charms research, I have a feeling, I feel like people are listening to this right now, and they're like, they've gone off the deep end. <laughs> they just say Lucky Charms research. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, oh, we're going to be no. stalking Bigfoot next. That's right. Uh, but before we get down to that, let's talk about some crazy superstition. Let's do it. Do you have any musical accompaniment, Caroline? Crazy superstition. Yeah, we got a little Stevie Wonder in the house. Or isn't it? Or is it very superstitious? Is it crazy superstition or very, very superstitious? We should have checked our our Stevie Wonder <laughs> lyrics before right we came in. in. On the wall. Okay. Yes, superstitious behavior, superstitious thoughts. It's not uncommon, as many of you could probably attest. Uh, this this uh, 2004 study from the universities of Hertfordshire and Edinburgh found that people have always had these superstitious beliefs, aka magical thinking, which I like better. Yeah, magical thinking. Uh, it's the belief that an object, action, or circumstance not logically related to a course of events can influence its outcome. And just in terms of the common superstitions that a lot of people share, uh, there was a British psychological survey that was done, I believe, in 2011 in honor of National Science Week. And it found that the number one superstition across the pond, and I have a feeling it's very popular over here as well because I do it, knocking on wood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to knock on wood if you say something to potentially jinx jinx yourself. I do that all the time. I will knock on any surface, really, if I catch myself. If there's not really, if there's not wood around, I just knock on my own head. (laughs) Self-deprecating superstition. So followed by uh, crossing fingers, avoiding walking under ladders, not smashing mirrors, and that's just a good idea in general. That's hard to clean up. Step on that. Uh, Carrying a lucky charm and avoiding the number 13, like a lot of buildings, the building Mm -hmm. that we are sitting in right now. Contains no 13th floor. Do any buildings have a 13th floor? I don't know. I mean, if you're on the 14th floor, then you're technically still on the 13th floor. It's just not labeled that. Well, we're technically on the 14th floor, so close call (laughs) for us. Um, And actually, speaking of Lucky Charms, I realized as we were researching this podcast, I don't like to think, I don't tend to think of myself as very superstitious. But then I was like, wait a minute, Conger, you are knocking on wood all the time, and I also wear 
what I'm wearing right around my neck today. I have mm-hmm. my grandmother's wedding rings. And um, they are a prized possession of mine, and I'm terrified that I will lose them. Mm-hmm. But they've become like a, a lucky charm of sorts. Yeah. I don't know that they, there hasn't been an instance when it has, you know, <laughs> where some luck has abounded when I've been wearing them. Mm-hmm. But I just like having like her kind of close to it's me. It's a self soothing thing. I, mm-hmm. I actually have the exact same story. I, my, uh, my mom, apparently I've hit the age where I can now inherit my grandmother's jewelry. And or maybe my mother was just drinking a lot of wine and raided her own jewelry box, whatever. Um, but I, I got my grandmother's old ring that she got in North Africa. And it's very, like, spiky. The, the jewelry on it or mm-hmm. the jewels on it are kind of spiky. They kind of stand up. And I remember when I left my last job, I was so nervous about that discussion with my boss that I was like... I'm gonna wear, I'm gonna wear the ring today. It makes me feel a little bit luckier. And because of the spiky jewels, if it comes to blows, we can, <laughs> it can be a nice protective item. You can have it out. I mean, <laughs> nothing like a lucky charm that serves multiple exactly. purposes. Uh, but for a little more fun with what people believe in, uh, Time Magazine wrote a review of a book by Christian, Christopher Bader and Carson Mencken called Paranormal America. And they found that, uh, the people most likely to believe in out of body experiences and to say that they've had an out of body experience Highly educated people. That hmm. college degree comes with an out-of-body experience. Neat. Uh, who believes in UFOs, Caroline? Single white men. I'm not going to say nerdy single white men, because that would be judgy. I know a lot of Caucasian male humans who <laughs> who believe... Are you an alien? <laughs> possibly. <laughs> who believe in extraterrestrial life. So I kind of... Not a big surprise. Uh, the best, though, was their finding that the folks most likely to believe in Bigfoot are successful professionals. Yeah, so it sounds like if you're a single, white, highly educated, professional male, you, you have a lot of superstitions. Yeah. Uh, but if you taught, like, change that to a uh, highly educated, single, white, successful, professional female then you are even more superstitious because we are now getting into the gender aspect of superstition. And guess what, folks? Repeated studies have found that women tend to be more superstitious than men. Right. We also are more likely to believe in ghosts and poltergeists or just that our houses are haunted in general, which I may have maybe been terrified that my last apartment was haunted. Whatever. Ooh. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what would be haunting it, but yeah, we also have trouble. We have a lot of trouble as women on Friday the 13th. Oh man, this is one of uh, my favorite studies just in terms of the ridiculous scale uh, that I have ever run across in my history of researching for stuff mom never told you. This was published <laughs> in 2002 in the American Journal of Psychiatry. Caroline, please share what these researchers found. Yeah, they looked at, I guess this must have been a pretty fun study to do or to propose in the first place. They wanted to see if people got into more car accidents on Friday the 13th. And they found that, yes, people do, but specifically women people get into more car accidents on Friday the 13th. And they chalk that up to maybe people's superstitions about the day interfering with their behavior. So maybe we're so nervous that something bad is going to happen on Friday the 13th that we go ahead and just rear end the person in front of us. Yeah, and an, a glaring example 
it would seem, of a little mixed up between correlation and causation. The study authors conclude, quote, an estimated 38% of traffic deaths involving women on this day were attributable to Friday the 13th itself. (laughs) So uh, take that for what you will. Maybe it's just in Finland. (laughs) Finnish listeners, do things get really weird on the road? On Friday the 13th. Uh, but speaking more generally, there was a 2011 study out of Rollins College that found that, again, uh, women are more superstitious. Uh, they are more likely to have religious beliefs and stronger religious beliefs than men and also have significantly higher scores in traditional superstitious beliefs, including superstitious behaviors like refraining from something we think might jinx ourselves or engaging in rituals like carrying good luck charms, dressing a certain way, uh, thinking that will it will improve our performance. Yeah, I typically do the jinx thing. Like I will avoid talking about something or, or sounding you know too optimistic about something in case it jinxes it, which is silly. I do the same thing. And uh, speaking of Friday the 13th, women, according to this 2011 study, were more likely to refrain from taking an exam on that day. That's stupid. I'm sorry, was that judgy? That's so stupid. Why would you not take an exam because it's Friday the 13th? If you studied for it, people. Maybe because it is clearly dangerous to (laughs) get in traffic on that day, Caroline. You're driving to campus. Yeah, maybe you should just say. 38% of traffic deaths. Um, Well, another thing that we should touch on about superstitious behavior, not uh, not to offend anyone, but so there were a lot of attempts to understand this whole magical thinking thing, why people are superstitious. And in the 1980s, uh, scientists developed the paranormal belief scale. And research around this time found that superstitious beliefs are associated with poor psychological adjustment, such as low confidence in your ability to succeed, high anxiety, irrational beliefs, an external locus of control, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that had more to do with the actual negative superstitions. So, you know, you're afraid to break a mirror because it will bring bad luck. Mm-hmm. People who have positive superstitions, like if I carry this rabbit's foot, good things are going to happen to me. Those people weren't as much covered under this belief scale. Under the paranormal belief scale? Yeah, they are considered actually to be more psychologically adaptive than their negative superstitious counterparts. And speaking of psychology, the the main explanation for why women tend to carry more superstitious beliefs is because women also tend to exhibit higher trait anxiety Mm -hmm. than men do. Because it seems like with positive and negative superstitions, whether it's saying, like, my grandmother's rings are going to make my day better, Mm -hmm. or I better not smash this mirror, or else, like, blood will rain down on my head. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what happens if you smash a mirror. (laughs) But um, either way, it's rooted in some kind of anxiety that you need to... You need to perform well. You need some. You need a boost of some sort, whether you're avoiding something or competing for something. Yeah, and that 2004 study uh, that I mentioned earlier, it did confirm what Kristen's talking about, that women do have more superstitious beliefs. And they asked people, uh, men and women people, to agree or disagree with positive and negative superstitious statements. And women um, agreed to a greater extent uh, with both than men did. Women were more eager, I guess, to agree with these superstitious things. 
Um, and speaking now into the, the whole Lucky Charms aspect of it, moving into the positive, non-blood ring <laughs> realm of superstition, uh, 70% of college students exhibit superstitious beliefs or rituals before exams or athletic performances. And this whole athletic performance thing is really interesting because, yeah, we have all this data saying, well, women are more superstitious. But if you get into professional athletics, there are so many stories, especially with baseball, it seems like, detailing professional male athletes' rituals before games that they have to do, which seem kind of weird, including, uh, who was it? Let's see, Jason Giambi. Probably saying that wrong. I'm Giambi. Giambi. Jason yeah. Giambi. It's totally cool. Okay, thank you, Caroline. <laughs> he was a Rockies first baseman, uh, and he would wear a golden thong if he found himself in a slump at the plate. That sounds heavy. And then Moises Alou, who's a National League outfielder, uh, would frequently urinate on his hands because he thought that it would help him hold the bat better. Yeah, and then you have Wade Boggs who would scratch, among so many other things that he did, he would scratch the Hebrew word for life in the dirt before every at-bat and made sure to eat chicken before every game. Yes. I also wear golden thong and eat chicken uh, before coming into the studio. <laughs> so <laughs> She's actually wearing the thong over her clothes right yes. now. Um, yeah, and Michael Jordan, I feel like this is uh, a commonly cited thing uh, as far as superstitions go. He wore his college shorts under his NBA uniform. And then there's LeBron James, who performs some weird complex ritual that ends with him throwing chalk dust into the air. Maybe we should try that. Uh, <laughs> before the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, all of these, all of these rituals that these successful athletes are performing. The question is, does it work? And one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast was because we ran across a study from 2010 published in Psychological Science saying that, you know what? They actually might help. Yeah. That golden thong might be worth, well, wearing a thong. (laughs) If you're a baseball player. Um, Yeah, and it's not necessarily the lucky charm itself. It's not attracting cosmic luck from the heavens for you necessarily. It's bringing you confidence. Um, Psychologist uh, Lysan Damish, I might be pronouncing her name wrong also, she's from the University of Cologne in Germany, found that superstitious thinking directly before a task may boost a person's self-efficacy, in other words, their confidence in themselves, and that actually boosts your expectations and your persistence. So if you think like, okay, well, if I don't have this lucky charm, I'm not going to do as well, you might not have confidence, you might lose your concentration. All of these athletes who are doing this stuff, it sounds crazy, but if it puts them at ease and makes them more confident in their abilities, that can actually end up helping them perform better. Right. And the way these researchers came to that conclusion was uh, in the study entitled Keep Your Fingers Crossed, How Superstition Improves Performance, uh, they had two groups of participants who were going to have to putt some golf balls into a hole from like four feet away, which, you know what, I'm going to be honest with you, that would be a hard task for me to complete. I hate putt-putt. Golf and I, 
don't get along that well. But uh, so half the participants were given these supposedly lucky balls and the other half were just, you know, told, hey, just go do this. And then uh, they also repeated this exercise where half the participants were told by the facilitator, we have our fingers crossed for you. We want you to do really well. And for both groups, when there was some aspect of luck imbued into this experiment, uh, they got an average of two out of ten more balls into the hole. And then when they went back, performed another experiment uh, with two groups again who were asked to perform some kind of uh, like concentration and memory task. The group that was told to bring a lucky charm with them, a personal lucky charm, like my grandmother's rings, mm-hmm. that group also perform better on the concentration and memory. And they think, like you said, it has something to do with that added boost of confidence, which is grounded completely in unreality mm-hmm. and magical thinking. There is no, my grandmother's rings, I mean, I'll rest her soul. I love grandmother very, very much, but I know that she's not, you know, she's not in these rings somehow like spirit guiding me right. through the world. But it's just, it's, it's, it's like a weight off, like a tiny, even the tiniest weight off your brain sometimes uh, when you have to perform or something big is coming up. I can understand how that uh, how that could help. Yeah, well, that's what uh, Ellen Langer in the 1970s called the illusion of control, where people irrationally overestimate their possibility of success if they had a sense that they could control the situation, even if those outcomes were random. So anything, including, you know, for these athletes, like we said, anything that gives you that sense of, I got this can yeah. help you perform better. Yeah, in 2011, uh, CNN covered this phenomenon, and they talked to Greg Steinberg, who's the author of the book Full Throttle, and a professor of human performance at Austin P. State University. And uh, he talked about this aspect of you know the athletic rituals, and he says that when you do something that's superstitious, like wearing a trinket, it gives you that greater sense of control. And if you're an athletic trainer, mm-hmm. you are probably not not going to discourage your uh, your pitcher from eating that bucket of chicken before the game if he's winning, even though, you know, maybe nutritionally he doesn't need to eat a bucket of chicken or, hey, dude, you know, writing Hebrew on the mound, that's not going to do anything for your game. But if he's doing it and it's in his brain or her brain, uh, you, you don't want to change that routine. Yeah, there's one there's one superstition that seems to be catching on in the athletic world, and that is this was in the same uh same CNN story that Kristen's talking about. It talks about these Phyton necklaces. Phyton. Phyton? Phyton. They're basically like just... I feel like these people are getting ripped off. Um, they are these necklaces that are made from fabric and have metals woven into them. But the manufacturer claims that the jewelry gives athletes an edge with the special technology, which apparently involves metals being broken down into microscopic particles dispersed in water. Uh, so this is supposedly supposed to like fix all your electric currents in your body that get screwed up when you're stressed out or exercising or something. Or, you know, Connecticut College Professor Stuart Weiss says... Phyton has used a pseudo-scientific appeal in making their products. There's actually no science to back it up. But it goes back to the whole thing of like, well, if these athletes feel like they're performing better with it, you shouldn't stop them from using it. However, 
it's you're kind of ripping people off. Well, see, that's that's the thing. The catch twenty two of understanding the science of superstition and lucky charms, because uh, you know the magical thinking, the magical belief, and that illusion of control is what actually potentially gives you some kind of edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we should back this up by saying, like, these athletes are also successful because they put the time and the work in. Obviously, yeah. it takes preparation. But you have this edge given to you with uh, the psychology of magical thinking. But then it's like, once you understand what's going on, doesn't that take away the potential uh, you know, magical properties of these things that we carry around our rabbit's feet in our pocket? Yeah. It's a little ironic. Exactly. Oh, science. Oh, oh science. You've got to be such a buzzkill all the time. <laughs> but I think it's interesting, though. I mean, like, I'm not going to stop knocking on wood when I catch myself, like, saying something that I don't want to not be true. Yeah. Or wearing my grandmother's necklaces on a day if I'm particularly nervous. Yeah, or wearing my grandmother's ring if I think I'm going to get in a fight. Yeah. So... I don't know. I think it's uh, it's it's fun to explore, and it's interesting to see how we almost will trick ourselves to, you know, uh, perform better. Yeah. Hey, whatever works, as long as it's not steroids, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a message for the kids. <laughs> as long as it's not steroids. Um, so I hope you had fun with this little uh, superstitious podcast and we want to hear from folks out there i mean do you have a lucky charm that has been proven time and again to bring you successful results yeah like my uh, my roommate for instance uh all through college every uga game he went to he wore the same shirt and would only uh, would only wash it at the end of the season Ooh. <laughs> And he, yeah, we went to a Braves game together not too long ago, and he wore a new Braves jersey for the first time, and they won, and it was oh, fantastic, no. and Chipper Jones hit like a bajillion home runs, and he was like, yeah, I'm never wearing another jersey to a Braves game, and it's like, oh, you might be psychologically unstable, according to this research. No, well, it's just a little magical thinking. A little magical thinking. Come on, we all need a little magical thinking in our life, right? Sure. Hey. The stakes know. are The stakes are high. He feels like uh, he needs to do whatever he can to help the team. At least he's not talking about Bigfoot, right? That's true, or UFOs. There you go. And at least he's not on steroids either. Yes, all of these things good. So send us your Lucky Charm stories. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send them. And we have a couple letters to share with you right now. So I've got one here from Liz, and she's writing in response to our episode on why are humans helpful. And she said, I'm a little disappointed you didn't mention the work of evolutionary biologist Joan Roughgarden. She's been a professor at Stanford for over 40 years and a vocal critic of the idea that selfishness lies at the core of natural selection. In her social selection theory, she argues that instead of selfishness driving individuals to have as many offspring as possible, sexual selection, the main force driving evolution is cooperation between 
members of the same species to create a stable environment for offspring to reach reproductive age. After all, it doesn't matter how many offspring you have if they all die before passing on their genes themselves. In her book, Evolution's Rainbow and the Genial Gene, she also argues against the idea proposed by sexual selection that males are naturally driven to promiscuity and females to monogamy and presents an exhaustive list of examples from nature that refute this narrative. She goes on to criticize sexual selection for its inability to explain things like same-sex sexuality, which has been observed in over 300 species. Her theory is not without its detractors, but her ideas are, in my opinion at least, some of the most interesting and important to come of evolutionary biology in a long time. So, yeah, Joan Roughgarden, Evolution's Rainbow, and the Genial Gene. Okay, here's an email from Drew uh, in response to our Bromances podcast from a couple months back. He said, being gay, it is probably not surprising that my two closest friends are women. However, aside from these two most intimate friendships, the majority of my friends happen to be straight men. I have found that not only are these men perfectly okay with developing a close friendship with me, but they are also greatly intrigued by gay culture. I have taken them all out to gay clubs on several occasions, and each time they have all thoroughly enjoyed themselves. While none of them have any sexual interest in men, they have all told me that gay clubs provide a much more relaxed environment in which they can dance without the pressures they find at straight clubs. From my own experiences, my face-to-face friendships are primarily with women, while my side-to-side friendships are with men. In this day and age, I like to think we gays are getting the best of both worlds when it comes to friendships. I appreciate the deep emotional connections I share with my girlfriends just as much as the shared bond I have developed with my rock-climbing, turned-gay-club-enthused buddies. Excellent, and thanks to everyone who has written in MomStuff at Discovery.com is where you can send us your letters. You can also find us on Facebook. Leave us a message there, like us if you would, and follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And if you want to learn more about taboos and superstitions, you can head on over to our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?